Welcome to a bonus episode of the Inspirational Athletes Podcast here on the Always Lancaster Podcast Network. I'm your host, John Walk, sports reporter for LNP Newspaper and LancasterOnline.com in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania. Yeah, this opportunity kind of popped up out of the blue recently. I heard about a four-time Olympic cross-country skier named Chris Freeman coming to speak at Spooky Nook Sports Complex in Mannheim as part of a week-long diabetes training camp. Um, Freeman was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes at age 19 before first competing in the Winter Olympics. He visited the camp at Spooky Nook on Thursday, August 16th through the Lilly Diabetes Camp Care Package Program, which provides supplies, programs, and resources to participating diabetes camps throughout the country. Uh, when I first heard about this, I threw an email to the folks running the camp at Spooky Nook to say, hey, would, would Chris have like a 20, 30 minute window to sit down with me. And he was kind enough to do just that. Um, before I get to that, we sat down with Jody Corcoran, um, who was essentially, um, I guess the spokesperson for the diabetes training camp, um, that happens, I think twice annually throughout Lancaster County. So I wanted to, uh, chat with Jody for a few minutes, just in regards to the camp, what it entails, all the details. And then after we're done chatting with Jody, uh, we will get into our conversation with Chris Freeman, just cause, uh, kind of ties one and one together as far as what the camp is about. You know me, I, I like to kind of switch things up every now and then and kind of provide a platform to local nonprofit groups that are helping others through some physical activity programs and the diabetes training camp just does just that. All right, so on to our conversation with Jody Corker and following that, our conversation with four-time Olympic cross-country skier Chris Freeman. Yeah, Jody, first off, um, I guess, what, what is your title or, or role with the Diabetes Training Camp, and what are you doing this week? Yeah. Hi, thanks, John. Um, I'm Jody Corcoran, and I, I'm actually married to Matthew Corcoran, who's the founder and the CEO of Diabetes Training Camp. Hmm. So I pretty much handle you know, operations and just kind of help run the camp um, and do the marketing and PR, and, and most importantly, just get to spend a lot of time with right. the campers and, and get them uh, registered and feel comfortable with coming to camp. So for those who are listening to this for the first time and, yeah. and hear about diabetes training camp for the first time, most likely if they don't have diabetes or nobody's in their family without diabetes, they probably don't know anything about it. So um, what is kind of the history as far as diabetes training camp? When did you guys start this yeah. and, and all that? So uh, this year is the 12th year of diabetes training camp and Matt is actually from Lancaster. Matt founded it and really it's a place where people living with diabetes can come and learn how to uh, really manage their blood sugars while they exercise, while they're active, um, which is hard because for us, our bodies, when we start to exercise right. and we, you know, go run a couple miles or we get on the bike or we get in the pool, our we have our bodies are able to regulate our blood sugars automatically. Our, we right. have a pancreas that works, and our pancreas um, uh, can take care of our blood sugars so that we can get through the exercise. Okay. People living with type one diabetes, their pancreas does not regulate their blood sugars well, so they have to see what their blood sugars are and either eat food or give themselves insulin insulin to be able to get through an activity. And I'm going to get a lot into the specifics of that with our conversation with Chris, but I guess the diabetes training camp this week, okay, um, it's what, Monday through Friday? Monday through Friday. Um, it's an adult it's, camp, which is okay. unique, so a lot of people think that we're a kids camp, but it's an adult camp for adult athletes and exercisers. It's a week long. We hold all of them here in Lancaster. We have one, we had one in June in Millersville. This one's at Spooky Nook. We do have one teen boot camp, which is for teen athletes 
with mm. type 1 diabetes. So the one in Millersville parents. is for kids? No, just okay, the sorry. teen boot camp. We've got two adult camps, one in Millersville, one in Spooky Nook. The Spooky Nook one's okay. going on this week. And then we had a teen boot camp uh, also at Spooky Nook earlier this month okay, got for you. teens and their parents. So the one here um, at Spooky Nook this week, how many campers do you have and what are they doing throughout the week? Absolutely. So we have, we have 30 campers and we have 20 staff. About a half of our staff also have type 1 diabetes. And we basically, the pillars of what camp camp is on is um, education. So there's a lot of education. There's clinical education, nutritional education. We have an exercise physiologist. We have our coaches. Um, and we have mental a mental skills team. So there are different lectures that go on, different consultations that go on. Workouts, we have amazing coaching staff. Uh, we do cycling, we do swimming, we do yoga, we do runs, we do walks, wow. we do general fitness. Um, so there's two workouts a day that people can participate in. Mm. Uh, we have a lot of community time because this really, for a lot of the adults that come to camp, this is the first time they've been around this many other people with type 1 mm. diabetes. Which is nice, because yeah. often it feels like a lonely bird that you're traveling, yes. probably. Um, and the campers that are here, I imagine they it's a mix of like type 1 and type 2 diabetes. We do it's have, budget. yeah, okay. it's, it's predominantly type 1 diabetes. We do always have a couple people with type 2 diabetes. So the difference between type 1 and type 2 is really important. Um, right. Type 1 diabetes is basically when that pancreas that organ is not working properly and uh people with type 1 diabetes are insulin dependent. So they either have to give themselves shots of insulin yeah. or they wear a pump that pumps insulin into their bodies. Type 2 diabetes, you can become insulin mm -hmm. dependent, but typically that's that's a very that's a disease that can be very hereditary. <clears throat> um, it also can come with maybe not as much activity or a, more of a sedentary lifestyle. Uh -huh. And you can manage that with diet and sometimes medicine. And you can become insulin mm -hmm. dependent, but that it's not, they're really very two different diseases. They mm -hmm. just happen to have the same name. Uh, last couple of questions for you. What year is this of you guys doing this camp? 12th year. 12th and year. And it's our, it's our fourth year here at Spooky Nook. Okay. Sixth year that we've just been doing camps in Lancaster. And just the last question for you. Why, why do these kinds of camps? Why, why do you feel like it's, feel it's important? What do you guys get out of it? So uh, diabetes training camp is very unique. We don't know of any other adult camp for people living with diabetes who are exercisers or athletes mm. in the country. And we're not even sure there's some, anything like this in the world. We have three international campers here this week. Wow. We have someone who came from the Ukraine. We have a, a Canadian camper and we have a camper from the UK. So people with type 1 diabetes are not, in, in the traditional uh, healthcare system, they're not getting support. They're getting support with managing their type 1 diabetes, but they're not getting it when it comes to exercise. And, and for a person living with type 1 diabetes, taxing their body with exercise can be really dangerous. Mm -hmm. So there are people out there that are looking for this type of education, this type of support, right. um, this type of, it, really it's a lot about how you fuel your body, so the nutrition, the eating. So um, so we really do get a lot of inquiries from all over the world because it's such a unique um, type of offering. We don't wow. we don't really know of any other program like it in the world, to be honest with you. Awesome. So we, so yeah, so people are here, they're learning, they're connecting, and they're training, 
and learning how to go home and understand mm. how to manage this disease while mm. they go out and kill it. You know, mm. whether it's on the bike, whether it's a triathlon, a marathon, whether they're in our, we have a C, uh, couch to 5k program. So we're, and it almost empowers them in a sense, like, yeah, you have this, this, I don't want to call it a disease, but you have diabetes here and you're not going to let it stop you from living a full, full we, life. I guess. We tell our campers all the time that anything is possible, Yeah, that this disease is not going to hold them back. And if people hear this and want to support it or find out more information, where can they go? They can go to www.diabetestrainingcamp.com. Awesome. And we are a foundation. We're a 501c3. So um, cool. And uh, yeah, and Chris is here through the Lilly Diabetes Camp Care Package Program, um, and I'll get into more of that later on as to what that program entails. But I wanted to say thanks to uh, that uh, group for allowing Chris to make uh, his visit here. So, all right, anything else, Jody, that I haven't asked you that you think we should hit on before we get to Chris? Um, I just really appreciate the opportunity to talk about camp, yeah. and I would say if you have diabetes in your, if you have diabetes, you have people in your family that have diabetes, you know anyone hmm. who has diabetes, um, let tell them about camp because we really are changing lives. Our, our alumni tell us that it is a life-changing experience and that's that's really what we're striving to do. Fantastic, well, good luck. All right, on to our conversation with Chris Freeman. I wanted to start, I kind of like to start with icebreakers just to kind of loosen things up and get the guests comfortable a little bit. Um, you're from New Hampshire, so I wanted to ask you as far as Lancaster County, I know before we started recording here, you kind of said that you know, you've know you been all over the world pretty much, so you've probably seen it all, but I don't know how much time you've been able to, to drive around the county and. Like horse and buggy, is that all new to you and all that stuff, or have you seen this before? Um, I, I've I have been a lot of places. You know, I've, I um, I did some training up in northern Maine for a while, and there was a huge Amish com community up there. So I have seen the horse and buggy before. <laughs> okay. All right. Um, when you were a kid, who would you say like your favorite athlete was growing up? Um, I think my favorite athlete. I, I was always drawn to uh, cross-country skiing, so my favorite athlete was naturally the best U.S. skier that there ever was, which was Bill Koch, mm. and he took a silver medal in the 1976 Olympics. So that's kind of, at least around here, that's unusual hearing, okay, my favorite athlete, I always like cross-country skiers. Growing up in New Hampshire, is, is that a thing? Like, do you guys... I think it was, uh, I'm definitely a product of my community. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, I grew up in a small town, Andover, New Hampshire, a couple thousand people. And there is a very large private high school. Um, that has their own ski jump facilities, their own cross-country ski trails, their own alpine mountain. And that, that uh, school opened up their facilities mm. to the town kids. So I started uh, training and competing as a skier when I was five with all my best friends. <laughs> all right. So um, I was very fortunate in that respect. And I also, you know, my heroes aligned with my friends' heroes. Um, you know, most people would say, most kids would probably say, oh, Michael Jordan. Mm -hmm. um, would be my favorite uh, athlete growing up, but when all your friends are into skiing, <laughs> you end up with skiing here. That totally makes sense. What was your, your first job, whether that be part-time or full-time, kind of growing up? Uh, like, were you a busser at a restaurant? or I was a lifeguard. Okay. Yeah. So you're a pretty good swimmer then? Yep, I'm All right. doing triathlons now. Um, so would you say growing up, like, did you have a dream job? When I grew up, I want to be this, or was it always cross-country skier in the Olympics? Um, <laughs> Being a professional athlete was always uh, the dream, um, but at the same time, I, I didn't count on it by any means. Um, I didn't really think that far beyond college. I mean, I, I was having a really great um, career as a teenager in high school, and I knew that there was probably an athletic scholarship in the cards. 
Um, but I hadn't really thought of beyond college. And I wanted to ask you that, like, forgive me for being ignorant, is that when you're going through high school and you're being a cross-country skier, are you aiming to, like, find an athletic scholarship to continue doing that at the college level? Like, is that a realistic goal for someone growing up in New Hampshire, I guess? Yeah, I mean, I was, I was well, I was being active actively recruited um, for cross-country skiing and cross-country running mm. by a lot of Div 1 schools. Um, but that being said, I'd also won five or six junior national championships at that point. So I really was at the top of the game yeah. for where I was at. And for those who are unfamiliar, like if someone came out of Lancaster and ended up going to college on athletic scholarship to be a cross-country skier, we'd kind of scratch our head and say, how does that happen? But I imagine a lot of the colleges with cross-country skiing programs are probably like up in the northeast or maybe out in like Washington up on the mountains or something like that, I guess. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the big school that I ended up going to was the University of Vermont, and they give Div 1 um, mm. ski scholarships. So um, I, was, I was choosing between that and uh, Salt, Lake, Salt Lake City, University of Utah, okay, um, yeah. as far as skiing was concerned. And... Basically, coming out of high school, I was—I had a—I had a choice. I was actually offered a position to train full time with the U.S. ski team straight out of high school, mm. um, but uh, an athletic scholarship to a Div One school is kind of hard to turn down. Too, right. um, I ended up just doing one year at the University of Vermont before I started focusing full time. Yeah. All right. And uh, last couple of fun questions for you before I kind of get deep dive in, into yeah. that career side of things. Um, when you're out on race day or, or event day, like, is it common for a cross-country skier? Like, are you putting on headphones and listening to music to get focused or get pumped up before you get out out there or no? Um, is that a thing? When I was <laughs> younger, I would, I would listen. I, I would try to get pumped up. But actually, um, having diabetes, um, the stress hormones um, that come into play before a race, cortisol and adrenaline can raise your blood sugar. Oh. So I actually actively try to stay calm before a race now and stay away from really stimulating stuff and just um, focus on breathing, staying calm, because starting the race with an ideal blood sugar is really critical to the wow. race itself. So rather than listening to you know heavy metal or rock, which is kind of my preferred music, um, I'll probably be, probably be meditating in the closet somewhere. <laughs> okay. You mentioned uh, a bit ago, I'll kind of get into the, the career part of this. So you go to Vermont for a year and then join... I guess the U.S. Olympic team at that point, or well, it uh, it gets a, these the teams get a little bit mixed together. But there is the U.S. ski team, um, and then there is the U.S. Olympic team. Um, if you're on the U.S. ski team, it means that you're one of the best skiers in the nation. Mm. Um, but it's not a guarantee that you will qualify for the Olympic team. You're basically being uh, financially supported, coached, and groomed for the Olympic team, but there is a separate qualification process. Okay. Um, so I wanted to ask you, I was going, kind of going back doing some research. You won your first national championship in 2000 in the 30K Classic, I guess third overall, but the top American finisher. Uh, I guess you would have been like 19, 20 year, years old at that point. Is that kind of the first time when you're like, okay, I can definitely do this in the Olympics, like I'm on this level? Or did that come earlier? Um, I think that, that probably came a year or two earlier. I mean, that was good confirmation. Um, I actually, I took fifth place at U.S. Nationals when I was only 17. Wow. Um, and then the national championship, I got beat by, uh, I believe, a, a German and a Canadian that day. Um, but I won the national championships because mm -hmm. I was the first U.S. skier. Um, was definitely confirmation. 
that that yeah I can do this yeah um, and kind of before I get back on the career thing I had a couple notes here I wanted to ask you about because again forgive me for being ignorant but like cross-country skiing is you know I, I'm one of those people who watches it every four years so I don't know the intricacies of it and going kind of going back kind of reading a lot of stories that have been written about you over the years um, there's some things in there I wanted to, to take some particulars out and kind of get into it um, so as far as race day you have the bodysuit to keep you warm you're wearing gloves um, you're managing your skis you've been quoted before like having good wax is an important thing I'm kind of wondering if you can kind of take those elements and expand upon them just as far as like why is it important to have good skis and good wax? Um, kind of like, are you waxing out your skis before you go out in the track? I know it might sound like a dumb question coming from me, so my apologies. Oh, that's, that is fine. No, no, waxing is a huge industry, actually. And um, there are entire wax teams for each nation. Um, okay. And um, I think close to half of the U.S. cross-country's budget goes to the wax team. We mm. have a staff of six men whose job it is is to figure out what the best stone grind, which is a pattern mm. on the base of your ski, um, is for the given day. So mm. if you have a really cold, fine crystals, you want a really fine uh, stone grind. And if it's wetter, you need a, a, mm. a uh, more coarse one because then it distributes water better. Then at the same time, you've also got to find the best wax to impregnate that base with. And each wax has different glide characteristics that, that go with, um, that will be faster in certain humidities, certain snow temperatures. Wow. So there's a lot of science that goes to it, a lot of uh, chemistry and, and, and things like that, and just a ton of testing from the ski team staff. Is that, uh, I mean, you've been doing this forever. Is that something like you reach the point where you have a team doing that for you, or maybe throughout the year? When you're the on year, the US ski team, okay. you have a team doing that for you. Um, on a, on, from training day to day, you know, I try to mac, match up a wax that's going to feel fast enough, right. but I'm not looking to eke out every single second. Because I'm just wondering, you, you mentioned earlier, just as far as kind of staying level-headed and calm and not trying to get your, your blood sugar levels up. But. Well, waxing is definitely a, a stress, um, yeah. getting it right. So that, that, what I was speaking about there is just the glide wax. And then in the traditional cross-country skiing where you, it's more of a, a running mm. motion, um, you have to have kick wax. So when you place the weight on your ski and push push down and backwards to mm. get propulsion, you need to have a wax on there that will grip the snow hard enough when you put the weight on it to allow yourself to force yourself forward, yet still glide fast enough when you're on two feet. And Getting the kick wax right is absolutely critical <laughs> for a good race. So there is a lot that goes into it. Right. And forgive me if this is also a stupid question with the equipment side of things, but I imagine, like, obviously the less equipment you have, the lighter you are, the faster you go. Is that a thing that you think about going into an event as far as, like, if it's a really cold day, you probably want to be able to stay warm in the course, but you also don't want to load yourself down with equipment, I guess, to stay so warm. So I wear the same racing okay. suit um, no matter what the temperature is. But what, what changes underneath it is the base layer. And uh, I've got uh, many different uh, base layers that I, I use. I use Swix, and they've mm. got different weights, and then they've got uh, wind windproof ones. Mm -hmm. So I can I can I'm only wearing two layers every day. Okay. But I've got six different uh, under layers of different weights and wind protection. It's fascinating. It's like that you don't at least from a. a 
spectator point of view, you don't really think about that kind of stuff. Well, you really yeah. don't want to get too cold, but you <laughs> yeah. also really don't want to overheat. So. Right. Um, okay. Over the course of Chris's career, he was a 15-time national champion, raced at four consecutive Olympics, stretching from Salt Lake City in 2002 to Sochi in 2014, came up just shy of competing in 2018 Winter Olympics. Throughout all this, Chris managed type 1 diabetes since his diagnosis. Um, I've read two different places now one was like at the age of 19 the other was age of 20 which one was it does it matter <laughs> it doesn't really right. matter but it was it was basically right before my 20th. can you kind of right before my 20th yeah birthday. first off there can you kind of just walk me through like how does someone discover like what's the diagnosis process like well my like everything uh it was ski centric um i i had a fasting glucose test um that the u.s ski team administered to all about the athletes hmm. And mine came back at double the normal level. So I was actually diagnosed with type 1 diabetes without really being symptomatic or having any idea anything was wrong. Wow. All right. It wasn't one of those like where you just felt terrible. It was just a test. That no, most. Up. I mean, that's okay. how that's how 99 percent right. of diabetics get diagnosed is they they end up in the hospital from weight loss. Right. All right. Um, so I kind of wanted to delve a little bit deeper on that. I found an article from 2010 on com that kind of looked at the specifics of how you manage the diabetes while training and competing. Um, I just want to read this paragraph and then I'll kind of get back into some questions. All right. From that, that article on com. quote, Freeman's body uses glucose as one of its primary fuel sources for his athletic pursuits from easy running workouts to roller ski time trials to World Cup races in the winter. But as a type 1 diabetic, Freeman's body doesn't produce insulin, the hormone that takes glucose out of the bloodstream and transfers it to the muscles where it's actually used. Since 2000, when Freeman was diagnosed with the disease, he has injected himself with a synthetic version of the hormone in order to keep his blood glucose at an acceptable level. It's a delicate balance too, uh, or I'm sorry, it's a delicate balance. Too much insulin will cause Freeman's blood glucose levels to plummet and leave him weak and cognitively impaired, even unconscious if he really messes up, a condition known as hypoglycemia. Not enough insulin and Freeman's blood sugar will climb, leaving him hyperglycemic and at risk for some of the long-term complications of diabetes like blindness. And my print ran out on me, but that kind of gives people an idea of, of what you're dealing with there. So with all that being said on race day, what are you doing to manage that? Like, do you have a team of people out in the course, like monitoring you, seeing what you need as far as... No, there's, there okay. was, there's no team out on the course. I mean, ideally I've got... Um, one or two two people out on the course uh, with um, glucose and some type of sports drink if if I really need it in, in the race okay. so that if, if I feel myself dropping, I can take quick action. Um, but really everything comes um, from preparation beforehand, hmm. planning and practicing. Um, I've, I've done many, many um, simulated races on a, a treadmill at the US Ski Team Gym. Hmm. Uh, it's a 10 foot wide, um, treadmill and I can roller ski on it and so in a very safe lab setting I can try different basal rates of insulin um, different different combinations of sports strength while I'm while I'm while I'm working out so it really comes down to being to knowing exactly what's going to happen knowing mm -hmm. exactly how I'm going to react to the racing situation that can get hard though because as I mentioned earlier stress hormones have a have a pretty serious impact mm -hmm. um, the two main ones is a cortisol which is kind of a your low level stress hormone 
and it makes your body less sensitive to insulin. And the other is adrenaline, which actually mm. releases your glucose stores into the blood. So I try to stay as relaxed as I can before the race um, because it's really hard to take into account those stress hormones because there's no way to measure them. Mm -hmm. You can't say, I've got so much adrenaline in my body right now. Um, there's no meter. Right. And throughout all of this, I guess after the diagnosis, when do you kind of take it upon yourself to share that with the world? Because now we know you, at least from the research I've done, of kind of being like a spokesman in the sense of sharing your journey and trying to help others with it. But like that, that's an active decision that, you know, that's a personal thing that you have. Um, and to put yourself out there and, and to kind of share your story, like how tough of a decision was that? And like what, what prompted you to do that? Well, I, since day one, I've never been embarrassed to have type 1 diabetes. I mean, it's, a, it's an autoimmune disease, just like a thyroid disorder is. For some reason, my immune system killed off the insulin-making cells in my body. Mm. Um, we, nobody knows why the body does that. And uh, there's absolutely nothing to be embarrassed of. Um, so it was kind of a no-brainer um, to talk about it. Um, I had no idea that there would be as much interest as there was. But... I, you know, I, did, I went to a camp for kids with diabetes, and they really reacted to the story really well. And um, for 15 years, I've been going to camps on behalf of Eli Lilly just to talk to kids mm -hmm. about um, what I've been able to do with diabetes and hopefully to inspire them to do what it is they want to do with their life. Yeah, which kind of brings us to why you're here today on behalf of the Lilly Diabetes Camp Care Package Program. I know Jody Corcoran talked about it a little bit earlier, but that program uh, provides supplies, programs, and resources to participating diabetes camps throughout the country. Um, today, you're making a visit here to the Diabetes Training Camp here at Spokie Nook in Mannheim in Lancaster County. Um, after you wrap up here, you're going to go exercise with the campers and probably share your story um, with them. Is that kind of like what, what a lot of your life entails right now? Are you kind of touring around the country, always this time of year and, and visiting camps, I guess? Um, most years I have been, uh, this year I haven't done a lot of touring yet this year. I've actually been doing a lot of training and racing in triathlon. I've picked up a, a wow. new sport. It's a sport that's always interested me a lot. And um, since I've retired from cross country skiing, I've had more time to focus on it. And I've, I've actually having a great time. I've had a couple of really good wins and I'm um, I'm planning to uh, go on and make a run for the Kona World Champs next year. Wow, fantastic. Well, if uh, you guys listening to this want to know more about triathlons, a previous guest, Andrew Yoder, Hemfield alum, he's like one of the best Ironman competitors in the world, but he has his own Andrew Yoder performance company that trains people here locally for triathlons and all that okay. stuff. So I've, I've learned a lot about that over the last few months since I've met him. Um, last couple questions for you. So you came up short of qualifying for the 2018 Winter Olympics shortly after he decides to retire at the age of 37. I've read elsewhere you have uh, a baby coming soon with your wife in, in a matter of another month or so. Yeah, so it, it, everyone says that a pregnancy is nine months long, but it turns out it's actually 10. I don't know why people is not, and my wife is nine months pregnant right now, so yeah, we're due um, September 16th. So, I don't know, kind of a confluence events of everything kind of made sense to, okay, no longer pursuing skiing? And well, I'm, I'm 37 years old now. Um, you know, I, I reached my peak in the sport as just about everyone does at around 30. So, I, I went on and competed in my last Olympics at the age of 33. And I decided I was going to try for one more, knowing that I was on the backside of mm. my career. You know, I, I 
in order to go to the Olympics, I had to be second at, at senior nationals, and I was third. So mm. I made a good run. Um, I'm not, not not embarrassed of it by any means, but it was always the, mm-hmm. the plan to retire at that point, whether I'd made the team or not. Right. Um, so this is kind of the point of the podcast where I like to ask guests if there's any piece of life advice or philosophy that you can share with listeners that either might make them a better person or maybe they're going through a trial right now and need to pick me up. I mean, you, you're a four-time Olympian, so I imagine there's a lot of things just as far as a lifestyle and discipline that, that you've instilled in your daily life um, just to kind of be so successful. So you can take that any which way you want, but I wanted to ask you that before we go here. Well, one of the things about living with diabetes is sometimes you, sometimes the things just don't work out the way you, you wanted them mm. to. Um, you can have a, a, a bad blood sugar event at a very inopportune time, and it, you just have to become uh, resilient to it. Mm. Um, I had a terrible blood sugar crash at the 2010 Olympics, and um, I almost dropped out of the race, and I was a medal favorite that day. I ended up like 50th place, and I was just absolutely crushed. And um, I'm not going to lie and say that immediately I jumped back up and said, I'm going to try even harder next time. It took me a couple months, um, but then I... uh, I got back out and I started training again and you know my next my next ski race it wasn't the Olympics but I, I beat the Olympic bronze medalist so um, and I continued my career for another um, another eight years um, so things don't always work out the way that, that you want them to but they do work out um, in a good way eventually awesome cool um, I'll give you a chance to, to plug some stuff here in a second I just want to say this if you guys like what you hear today then you'll probably enjoy the previous 90 plus episodes Earlier this week, we chatted with Penn Minor alum Cassie Klein. She's set to begin her senior season with the Penn State Women's Field Hockey Program this fall. Next week, we'll chat with Hemfield alum Nick Glass. He's stopping by to share his experience as a part of the men's rowing team at Temple University. Uh, with that being said, I'm always looking for any suggestions for the show. So if you listen to this and think, hey, I know this person, they'd be great. Throw me an email, jwalk at lnpnews.com or contact me on the Twitter at jwalklnp. I want to give a shout out, um, one last shout out to Di- Di- Lily Diabetes Camp Care Package Program. Program, as well as the fine folks with the Diabetes Training Camp Foundation uh, for making this conversation with Chris possible. You can find out more information about both of those organizations by searching lilydiabetes.com or diabetestrainingcamp.com. Um, Chris, anywhere folks can, can follow your journey moving forward? Yeah, uh, freemanfortitude.com is my own website, and it uh, has uh, I write blogs for it regularly, and it also collects all my social media feeds. Awesome. Cool. All right. Before we wrap up here, I just want to give a shout out to my colleagues, Tyler Huber and Claudia Espenshade. Tyler is the engineer of this podcast. Claudia handles all the posting duties to get this thing online. So thanks to them. Thanks to you guys for listening. Chris, thanks for sharing your story, man. I appreciate it. Thank you. Awesome. Great job.